welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Elson and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we'll be diving into David Lynch's Dune. Yes. <laughs> Sci-fi. And we have a, a very special guest, Miss Erin DeChico, coming back. You might remember her from Twin Peaks, episode three and four, I believe. Yeah, maybe so. she was our transitional pandemic um guests because she was on our last one before the pandemic hit and the next one after it started so maybe the next time we see you it'll be over (laughs) 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 so bad so um so we won't get your david lynch and jane austen history because we've already gotten it but um why don't we do our first impressions of Dune slash what we kind of knew going in and all that. Let's start with you, Erin, because you have the most experience probably. Um, well, I'll say this. I only like Dune because my dad liked it. And he read it in you know the book, Frank Herbert's book in... Um, the seventies, um, it came out, I believe in like 68 or 69 and he read it after that. And then when the movie came out, I was like three, I guess. And he watched it a lot, you know, <laughs> as much as we could, I guess, like in the age before everyone in their home. Right. Um, but I remember watching it and just being like super sicked out, um, <laughs> because of Baron Harkonnen. And then later, oh God, what? And then later, <laughs> um, when I was maybe like 20, 19 or so, I got really into reading the books and actually have the first, and they don't really refer to it as like the litany of fear, but that when Paul does the, I must not fear, fear is the mind killer deal in the book, like uh-huh. on my back. I'm, I love um, Dune. I think it's such a cool, uh, I love the language that's used. I love that they created so, so much um and uh frank herbert pays so much attention to syntax and really making uh his readers very immersed in winning so that like even when you're not reading the books or you know i don't know if people feel this way about the film but it's i still felt like when i was reading the books like i was still kind of there halfway even if i wasn't like holding the book in front of my face you know right yeah so i guess you don't yeah my personal history with Dune is that I've always wanted to read the books and I've just always been a little intimidated because there's so many and it's like so daunting to get started. So I did actually this month pick up the first one and I've read about half of it. But the first time I actually watched it, I watched it like over the course of five days. I wasn't paying a lick of attention and I have no <laughs> idea what happened. So I watched it again with my dad a couple, like last week and I was super impressed. I was like, I've heard this movie is horrible and I expected all the special or the special effects to be horrible. And I know David Lynch disavows it, but you know, not really knowing that much about the book, I thought, you know, there's definitely some issues with it, but I was overall super impressed. <laughs> yeah. What What about you, Christian? Uh, well, this was not my favorite, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which like kind of hurts me to say because I've loved all of David, even the ones that I didn't really care for, like 
like when we did the shorts, like the amputee, how it wasn't our favorite. I still like appreciated the art that went into it and his process. And I just, I felt like this, I can understand why he isn't kind of disappointed in this because it doesn't really feel like a David Lynch movie to me. It feels a little like maybe, maybe it's because it's based on a book and it's not like an original story by him, but it just doesn't feel, it doesn't have that David Lynch, like creepy, extra weird element to it. It kind of like feels like it tries to get there, but it never fully gets there. And I just, I don't know. Yeah. I, I was just, yeah, not very into it. <laughs> there are a couple moments that seem very Lynchian to me. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. look at you exploring what you're going to do in the future. And yes. I was thinking of it a lot in context of he could have directed Star Wars and he decided to direct this. And I kept thinking, I bet he could have done a good job on Star Wars looking at this, <laughs> you know, like. Right. Um, I think the main problem with it is that well, he adapted it himself, which I think is probably why he wanted to do it because he had more control over it, but he hadn't read the book when he decided to adapt it. So maybe he didn't know Mm. quite what he was getting into because it is like Lord of the Rings, but there's no actual, like we can see Lord of the Rings. It's confusing, but we have references in our minds, like elves and orcs and fantasy land Mm -hmm. like that. But this one is confusing, but it has no reference. Like there's nothing else to compare it to. (laughs) Yes. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was something that was like a big issue for me was um, the intro, we get kind of like a, a quick little intro into like what's going on, kind of like similar how we do with Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and all these big franchises. But I still like once we get into the movie, I just feel like we're jumping right into some conflict that we don't really have the precursor for any of the characters. Like, I feel like we're jumping right into like something that should be kind of like maybe 30 minutes into the movie. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 It definitely, the third time watching it, I was like, oh, um, everything makes sense. <laughs> so... <laughs> maybe I'll have to give it some more watches. I felt like the, the opening, like part of, uh, parts of the movie were like, oh, this is like Twin Peaks Dune. Like, mm-hmm. that are very, um, like, he gets very into, like, the psychoanalytical lens. There's a lot of, like, it's all about water and how water is really scarce, but, like, a lot of, like, you know, psychoanalytical connections with that and how he uses, like, the the visual of the water. But just as soon as the movie starts, he uses a uh, a sound like that hush sound mm-hmm. that he uses a lot in Twin Peaks and immediately I was like woman it's time <laughs> it's time <laughs> and like the makeup on the Harkonnen seems really lynchy to me because he mm-hmm. has a tendency of like doing messy gross <laughs> I don't know like yeah. he, if he's doing the makeup so much but like if, if you know he has a hand in it it's gonna be very like art because like I think Mm -hmm. no art is not like he makes it look like art instead of like this real thing sometimes it's meant to look like otherworldly or like not like Mm -hmm. it could really happen here yeah so right like all the dream sequences and all the like time folding stuff was like okay this is precursor to what we're gonna know from David Lynch in the future and you could actually see some of like the old shorts we did and Eraserhead influences in it as well. 
was I going to say? Uh, the costumes, the set design were all gorgeous, I thought. I thought that, you know, mm-hmm. overall, I thought it looked really good, which is what I thought it wasn't going to do. Like, I thought that that was the main problem with it. And now I realize it's just more the confusing story that was the main problem <laughs> with most yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would have appreciated um, a little bit more color in the costumes, I think. a lot of them, They were all really dark, like dark browns and blacks, which I think serves for like the whole space travel part of it. But I feel like what we're really like lacking is like kind of like a fantastical element to the story. I just, I would appreciate more like dramatic things do that. Cause like once you have this room full of people with all the same kind of color costumes, you kind of get lost in the crowd looking for like specific characters and you don't get that like wow moment that you would get in kind of like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, and I'm probably going to be comparing them a lot just because they're kind of like, they seem similar in the way that they're trying to story build. But I think another thing that really kind of disappointed me was like, I was going and expecting a lot of like alien creatures. (laughs) I thought I was going to see like a lot of like, just really cool things because of how like sci-fi was kind of like around at that time, how it was going. And you had Star Wars seven years before that had all these crazy aliens on it that made it look so cool. And it just felt, I don't know, like it just was a lot of white people <laughs> is what I'm trying to get yeah, to. No, that was the, was the gross brain alien thing that is yeah. weird and scary. Well, Even are they supposed to be human? Like, is this in the future, in a different, like in our it's, same galaxy? It's in the one ninety one or something, but I don't know that mm-hmm. it's in our galaxy. Okay. But were um, they originally humans, or were they like from? A, are they also from? A- I think Pratties are meant to be human because she, uh, at least in the movie, the Bene Gesserit witch, the Reverend refers to Paul as a human when he removes his hand from the box. Right, right, right. right. So I, I do think that they're human, and uh, to kind of back on the costuming thing I think that I agree with you like I think they went too hard in the idea of like you're on a racket there's no water there is no mm-hmm. water at all the spice the spice the spice and that's meant to be like the the melange melange is actually a color like uh, that kind of like ogreish sort of like dark yeah. reddish right. earthy color um mm-hmm. but also I think that they did that to the eyes of the Fremen because of the blueness that 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 has taken over because of their intake of the spice and right. how much that's like part of their so I think that there was probably like good intentions behind that choice and also because the Atreides are from I, oh god I feel like such a dork right now I'm like Ben Wyatt and- <laughs> <laughs> like- no it's good you know because my recap is full of like I don't know this word <laughs> so but the atreides family uh leto and and all of them are from caladan and caladan is like an earth light so think of like like naboo kind of you know um (laughs) it's like the earthy kind of planet right where you have a lot of rain there's thunderstorms there's a lot of water they live on the sea and then they're taken away from that and that's the last time that he's ever gonna see that yeah that's it right even in all of things that go past as far as I went like uh, I mean Christopher Herbert went back and wrote some more like books after his father passed away but I mean it 
much like you don't get water anymore. The only blue you're going to see are these people's eyes. So you better get used yeah. to it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, he terraforms the whole planet at the end. So <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> he's going to see plenty of water. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. But again, like those sorts of things I don't think happen in the book. I don't remember that. Because it, it feels may like happen that's what should have happened. Later. <laughs> <laughs> it does and it's been so long since I read it but I saw that and was like wait this seems really like not because I don't know and I could be really wrong but it just seems like a waste of water because they're so about like saving water water is so important to them so well we'll get into like, it because know, we'll shouting. get into the recap yeah <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but first let's do the notes <laughs> All right, so I will do notes for this episode. We'll get some stats down. Yes. So Dune was released initially in December 14th, 1984. Wait, it was, 1984? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was directed by David Lynch, and the screenplay was written by David Lynch. And as we mentioned earlier, the book was written by Frank Herbert. It had a budget of $40 million, which is pretty good. But unfortunately, opening weekend, they only made six million. And then as, you know, the whole run went, they only made it uh, just above 30 million. So they never made back their budget, unfortunately. But I'll go through some of the main cast members. We have Francesca Annis as Lady Jessica. I Leonardo, liked her. Uh, she looked like um, Audrey Hepburn to me. Yeah, she's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> she, yeah she, was like, she was like strikingly gorgeous. Yeah, I loved all the actors, um, actually. I was like... What? You're in it? You're in it? You're in it? <laughs> I think the biggest surprise to me was Patrick Stewart. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> no, my <laughs> like dad it... was like, Patrick Stewart's in this <laughs> before he would start. Sci fi royalty. All right. So Leonardo Tomino as the Baron's doctor, um, Brad Dorif as Peter DeFry, uh, Jose Ferrer as uh, Padisha Emperor Shaddam IV. Uh, Miguel Ferrer's father? Do we know? I kept meaning to look uh, it up. I kept forgetting. Let me look at work. Let me see. Do you know Aaron? I don't know, but there are lots of amazing, familiar faces in this movie that I was like, <laughs> oh my god, oh my gosh, I didn't know her. I forgot. I wasn't. Really yeah, it's his, last time I watched it. It is his dad. It is. Okay, yeah. awesome. <laughs> Little Albert. Daddy. <laughs> 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 um, we have Linda Hunt as Shadu Mapis. I might be getting these names wrong, but... I think that's... It's, um, um, lady? Matt, how do you spell it? It's uh, Mapes. M-A-P-E-E-S. Mapes. Okay, so, like, Shadow Everything is... Yes. Okay. Shadow Mapes. Yeah, I know who that is. She was the... Mm-hmm. Way more important in the book than... Yeah, <laughs> the movie she I noticed does. that. In the movie. <laughs> and then we have Freddie Jones as uh, Thufir Hawat. Um, Richard to... Jordan as... Look up. Well, I kept going, what was this guy's name? I kept calling him eyebrows. <laughs> I just couldn't remember. <laughs> I, um, I had started without subtitles. And then eventually I was like, I feel like I should turn on subtitles. And it would say who the character was when they were talking. I was like, oh, that helps so That's much. Nice. <laughs> I was like, I should have done this from the beginning. Um, we have Richard Jordan as Duncan Idaho. Kyle McLaughlin as Paul Atreides. Virginia yeah! as- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I loved the super 80s hair that he had. I felt like it was ridiculously 80s, yeah. like wig 80s. It's, he was the dreamiest. <laughs> yeah. He was de- definitely like, 
perfect yeah. 80s like yeah. dreamboat. I do. I love you too. Special guest. <laughs> <laughs> and we have uh, Virginia Madsen as Princess Rulin, Silvana Mangano as Reverend Mother Romalo, oh, okay. Everett McGill as Stilgar, <laughs> Ed and Twin Peaks, Kenneth McMillan as Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. Jack Nance as Nefood. Yeah. Another Twin Peaks alumni. <laughs> I love all of his faces. <laughs> I was like, I know. what are you doing, dude? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's so crazy is that um, he looks almost exactly the same as he did like an eraser head. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I saw him, I, every time I saw him, I was like, I'm watching eraser head. Like he looks exactly the same to me. I love that he's in all of them. <laughs> me too. Um, Sean Phillips as Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohayan. Okay. <laughs> really long name. I'm trying to get like the main characters. Jurgen Pronchow as Duke Leto Atreides. Paul L. Smith as the Beast Raban. Patrick Stewart as Gurney Halleck. And then Sting as Fide Rautha. Did you say um, the guy with the, what's, what was his name? The, the traitor? Yuri. Dr. Yuri. Dr. Yuri. Because he's in Blue Velvet. Um, let me see. I think so. Let me see. Okay. The weird, the way they, yeah, yeah, the way they do this cast list, it's. I think it might be in order of appearance, maybe because, you know, Kyle McLaughlin doesn't come in until like eight down. Yeah, that's weird. It's. But Doctor Yui has a so. different name in the cast list. I think I was like, wait, that, what? How is that his name? Anyway, what? Who is it? I yeah, can't well, remember his name in real life. <laughs> He played the guy who did the Roy Orbison song in Blue Velvet. Is it Dean Stockwell? Yes, that's it. And Max von Sydow. Dean Stockwell, uh, yeah. Sydow? Yes, as Dr. Kine. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then Alicia Witt as Alia. Who's oh, a yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Which I just found out and I was like, what? That's Alicia Witt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to mention was... Uh, one of the producers was Rafael De Laurentiis, who is, if you watch Cooking Channel, is Giada De Laurentiis's aunt. Really? So like, I yeah. don't know, but it was one of the De Laurentiis's who produced Blue Velvet. So they must have had like a long mm-hmm. relationship with David Lynch. I, I, yeah, I think it was maybe during Blue Velvet. I had looked up because I saw that name and I was like, this last name can't be that common. And so I looked it up and it turns out, I think, her grandfather was like a very big movie producer back in like like classic golden age of Hollywood. And so they kind of just became like a family business. Like Raphael, I think produced like Conan the Barbarian and like big movies like that. Yeah. So it's like a family thing. It was like dedicated to I thought the that was really cool. I think the movie. Yeah. 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 I noticed that in the beginning and I was like, I need to look this up real quick. <laughs> But it had, for awards, it had four nominations. It was an Oscar nominee for Best Sound, a Saturn Award winner for Best Costumes, a Saturn Award nominee for Best Science Film Fiction, Saturn Award nominee for Best Makeup, a Saturn Award nominee for Best Special Effects, a Hugo nominee for Best Dramatic Presentation, and unfortunately, it was a winner of um, the Stinker Award for Worst Picture. (laughs) I've Which seen is, so you know, many kind worse of movies. Stupid. I find it hard to believe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think like those weird like anti-award things like the Razzies, I think they're all stupid. Like who cares? I don't they're kind of rude. <laughs> care about the worst. Yeah. 
And a lot of times they pick movies that are like good, bad. Like I enjoy watching them because they're not like the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, you know, who cares? Yeah. But I think that's about all I had for this. Oh, the total runtime, 137. Oh, yeah. So it was like a little over two hours, which I have a personal opinion about because of how long it was. I think this should all always be turned into like a miniseries. I think you have so much stuff to put into it. They, I mean, and, I don't know what Denny Villeneuve is doing with his version, but it feels like this should have been like a Lord of the Rings trilogy type thing where they like filmed three at once. They were given like three, two years to do it all. And right. Well, <laughs> yes. um, so I'm not sure if it's part of you. Sorry, what yeah. was that? Oh, it's just so much to like tie up in a neat little like two hour bow. Yeah. It's like you end up yeah. uh, as an audience member, if you're not like really interested in the storyline or have read the books, like it becomes very confusing with the names and the, the that and things just end up getting completely like blown over. So you don't understand the importance of blah, 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 yeah. blah. Yeah. And it definitely probably yeah. should have been someone who loved June forever. And, you know, <laughs> I feel like maybe David Lynch got it a little over his head because he was like, no, I want something I can actually have control over. So I'm going to write it. But then he started reading it and was like, oh my God, this is a lot. And then, Extensive. you know, got all these producers and TV <laughs> movie studios who are like, it has to be this long. It has to be this, it has to be that. And then he just was like, I just throw my hands up with the whole thing because... I didn't have the control I wanted over it. <laughs> oh yeah, um, I mean it took a. The mini- from what I was. Oh, I haven't seen that. That's what I've heard. It's so good. Like Christian, I think you would like it better because the costumes aren't monochromatic, like in that dirty mm-hmm. way. It gets. It doesn't blast right into that. Like everything's on fire <laughs> immediately. Right. Like you get a lot more like build up, and um, you understand like. I don't know. We'll get into Irulan and all that stuff later, but yeah, it's it's a yeah. lot package in a two-hour little boo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's why the um, the idea of it being a movie was such a disservice to Lynch because I I think he is such a good character builder, like a slow character builder. Like when you look at Twin Peaks, we are kind of jumping in right into a murder. But we have this long drag out of the investigation where we're meeting all these like really unique townspeople and we're getting to find out their little quirks. And I feel like we didn't really get this in this movie. We kind of just got thrown characters yeah. who we were kind of already supposed to know. Yeah. And it kind of has like a slow, slow, slow. And then it's like, what? They just got here and now they're gone. It's like, I thought they were supposed <laughs> to live here for a little while or something. And then like, and then there's like kind of a slow build up, and then yeah, we've got we've done. You know, it's just like <laughs> okay. It's go ahead. I was just looking at some of the trivia on the IMDb page, and uh, there's a lot of really good, cool things that you'll probably get into in your notes. And if not, I'll just kind of like mention them real quick at the end. But I think it the whole like filming of the movie took. The making of it took more than six years so it was like i think once he took on the project he realized how extensive it was I and think also that kind of just delayed everything pe- they had like five different versions that they tried to make before this one with different directors who gave up mm-hmm. so i wonder if that counts mm-hmm. as part of that six years <laughs> probably but i think david himself worked on it for three and a half. Oh, okay so it's just like a very yeah you could just tell like the scope of it was a lot yeah but we love them. 
Okay, well, let's get into the recap. Okay, so it starts off dedicated to Frederick de Laurentiis, and then we see the princess's head floating in space. She says the year is 10,191. The universe is ruled by her father, the emperor, and the spice is the single greatest commodity. She explains how it's mutated a certain group of people over the years into pilots who can fold space. And the spice, which basically makes their whole entire society run, is only found on one planet, Arrakis, which is also known as Dune. And they have on Dune a prophecy of a messiah who will save them. And then we get the Dune opening titles, which I particularly like. The like flying over the sand dunes. Then we have the Brian mm-hmm. Eno theme. <laughs> and who does the music? Toto <laughs> did the music. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So distracting. Like it the, the music is so like grandiose and like just synthesizer. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It puts it in a very specific place, which makes me go, all of these special effects I mean, look great because when I think of that music, I think of other things I've seen from the time period and mm-hmm. they do look great in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> to some i mean maybe not everything but to some yeah okay so then we get like a secret report within the guild and i'm pretty sure the guild is the blood the pilot blubs mm-hmm. um yeah but it's definitely kyle mclaughlin kyle mclaughlin's voice and it's like the spice must flow <laughs> <laughs> So then we're at the emperor's court and this is the first place that I was like, Ooh, I love the set design here because like the, just the set looked gorgeous. Everyone's costumes with those women with like the veiled black dresses that were like, I don't know. They look mm-hmm. like Spanish royalty or something. Yeah. I got really excited. Yeah. <laughs> I saw this scene. The princess is the only one not in black, but yeah, the room looks gorgeous. There's like this kind of alarm sounding and everyone's kind of bustling out of the room. And then the Bene Gesserit priestess, truthsayer, <laughs> comes in to stand with the emperor. And then my second least favorite group of people, the uh, guild gr- tribe, I don't know, bald guild guys, <laughs> come in with a big black box. Um, it looks like a train. I wrote, <laughs> the creepy train arrives. <laughs> and they say- It did kind of look like a bullet train to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you couldn't have just folded yourself which, into that room. <laughs> <laughs> which I I found this part, this is like the beginning of the movie gets me so excited for like all of these like possibilities because um, we're being introduced to like, you know, uh, <laughs> I guess 8,000 years into the future from now. So, you know, you're expecting like these crazy like things we're not even really going to understand. And then we get this big train thing that opens up with this creature inside. And I thought, like, this is like, oh, so we're just getting started with all these crazy people looking. And um, I just, like, I love this scene. I thought it was so good. Yeah, this was a good one. It definitely puts you in, like, a, ooh. (laughs) Um, And they do their Mm -hmm. weird voice thing where they're, like, talking something else and it's being translated. And they're, like, the witch must leave. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
And when we saw the mutated thing, and that's when I thought, oh, Dil Denny Villeneuve was going to do a really good job with this because I remember Arrival and it's very reminiscent of Arrival in certain ways because it's like in this big yes. foggy tank. Um, yeah. I kept calling it after this, I think, the Octopilot. So <laughs> just... <you know>. <laughs> 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 so it thinks it knows everything, this Octopilot, and it orders the Emperor around. And the Emperor is explaining that he already has this plan to switch up who controls what, and he's, like, encouraging this behind-the-scenes war. And the Octopilot is like, but we are really worried about this guy, Paul Atreides, and we want you to kill him. And by the way, we were never here. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> and they roll out. <laughs> meanwhile, the <laughs> priestess lady has heard all this. I don't know if she heard it psychically or if she just heard it because she was in the next room. He, he says he tells her <laughs> to use telepathy. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that was one of my problems with the movie is I could never tell if people were just thinking or if they were projecting their thoughts. <laughs> Talking. It's, it is a byproduct um, because the way that Frank Herbert writes the the character's subtext is really like prominent. Mm -hmm. I don't like translates to the movie. I want you to show me your subtext. I don't want to hear it. It's awful. Well, right. I read that somebody made him put that in after the fact, like it wasn't originally in it. And there's a lot of times where it's definitely not necessary, but there are times where I'm like, I think maybe you are speaking psychically. So you know, yeah. Yeah, it's, I can see um, that. Yeah, and I, um, I kind of like, this is where I started to kind of have like a little bit of a disconnect because this bald tribe people, they seem to kind of like be pulling the strings of the emperor. And I feel like they would know that this, the witch can hear things, like she could use telepathy or anything like that. So that the fact that they were like, she has to go, and she was just like, all right, I'll go into the next room and just listen anyways. It seemed a little... Uh, I feel like they were... I, don't know, I mean, I don't really know, but it feels like they were trying to put her in her place because obviously these are both psychic tribes or psychic groups of people who think that they, they're controlling the levers behind the scenes. So I think they mm -hmm. just have like a natural dislike of each other. I could be wrong about that, but like, uh, that's what it felt uh, like. Yeah. Out, though by the Bene Gesserit because the Bene so powerful and they do possess the telepathy and it, they're witches and they're while other people do possess things like the pilots possess you know those abilities to like fold space and do all of this stuff the witches are trained from very early age in the weirding talk about uh -huh. some in the movie and it it puts a lot of people off they don't trust the witches they do not trust any um. of the women that grow up as witches but the Bene Gesserits are like relied upon as consultants, as you see, like with the emperor, like he has his Bene Gesserit, his trained in Bene Gesserit, but she never becomes one because of the stigma. Right. Right. Okay. So that um, kind of reminds me of in, uh, what's it called? In Anastasia, uh, which is like a weird way to go. <laughs> but when you look at, what is that guy's name? Um, Rasputin, how he's kind of like magically gross, whatever, and everyone, or even like um, Aladdin with Jafar, like everyone is kind of like distrustful of him, and you kind of get that from the get go. I kind of feel like this would have benefited from a little bit of background about that whole process of the witches becoming who they are, 
kind of like seeing maybe that specific witch or like other people in that ballroom kind of a throne room whatever it is kind of like reacting to her entering a room or something like that just so that we kind of understand that she is kind of like an other to them yeah well I kind of got the impression that they were also like highly regarded though because it seems like everybody's got one even the Fremen have yeah. one <laughs> correct I don't know if the Harkonnens have one though uh I don't I don't know if a Bene Gesserit witch would go work for a Harkonnen <laughs> so disgusting, but it seems like I would. <laughs> they were trying to encourage, like, um, well, we'll get to it. Yeah, they're so gross. Okay, so anyway, the uh, basically all we learn is that they're trying to breed the Bene Gesserit are trying to breed this Quizak Sederek, which is like, I guess, the Messiah. That the, I don't know if they're doing it because of the Fremen Messiah prophecy or if they have a whole nother thing that they're trying to do it for, but. Um, anyway, that'll come up later. <laughs> so then we see Paul studying his old-timey computer, but I like that it was a computer. I was like, oh, look, a computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks kind of like my favorite kind of boring documentary with like, this is space. Here are the planets in space. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or like rather like a planetarium at the, like, like a science museum. Yeah. And then uh, we got three guys walking in and Paul knows without even looking that it's Thuther, who's got the eyebrows and the red lips, Dr. Huey, who's got the diamond forehead, and Gurney, who is Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. Thuther is blustery but proud. Gurney wants to practice, oh, Gurney wants to practice hollow square shield. I don't know if that's what you call it. Hollow square shield fighting, sword fighting. <laughs> he like turns on his square armor thingy and they like, do a wah, wah, wah mm-hmm. battle <laughs> which is funny i have a lot of thoughts about this armor <laughs> yeah it was um again very 80s <laughs> oh yeah i don't um, understand why i remember never when wore it again <laughs> yeah well that's oh. uh, yeah i don't know it was just like a one time I thought it was gonna be like a big thing like that was like their way of combat but I guess not but I when I first saw it it was like what in the Minecraft it looks (laughs) so it does it just looks so funny to me like I I think that kind of took me out of it a little bit because I just like it looks so I don't know I'm interested to see what the new one looks like because it does look very 80s, which I like appreciate, but also was like, <sighs> yeah, it's very 80s, but I find that particularly nostalgic. <laughs> like, it's like right. when Spider Man in that one spot where the people get turned into like the 2D creatures and fly off into space. I don't know which <laughs> I don't one, remember is. That, but I believe you because oh, I, yeah, some Spider Man early. <laughs> Can I say? Spider-Man, I think I meant Superman. See, this oh, oh, is where Superman. I am. <laughs> yeah. well, I said Spider-Man. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay, so they find each other. It's a draw. They're all getting ready to move to Arrakis. It's a dangerous place. The doctor tells him about the worms and the Fremen. And he says that when your blood gets saturated with spice, your eyes turn blue. And we learn about the Harkonnen, who are the enemies of them. <laughs> I don't know what they're called anymore. The Kaladins? Uh, just the Atreides. The Harkonnens are like a family. Right, right, So right. the house. Oh, Atreides, yeah. They're, they're their enemies. They were originally 
um, the masters of Arrakis, and so they're getting replaced. And they're like, it may be a trap, but we've got our new army, and they've got these voice gun things that they call weirding modules, which I don't know if we should get into it, but they don't really explain how they got them. And I was wondering, did his mother give, like, teach them how to do it, or he? I think probably sort of maybe what happened, if I'm trying to remember correctly, time that doesn't get accounted for in this movie whatsoever it's just all of a sudden they're with the fremen all of a sudden he's dude you know he's wadib he's usul he is the quetzal Haderach. so <laughs> it's like there's a lot that goes into that uh Mwadib means a little mouse in the desert which is what he becomes like and there's all these like explanations of like the language and how that ties into the prophecy and how he so, yes, I believe that the weirding modules are more, like, developed by the Fremen during this entire thing. But it mentions at the beginning of the movie that Atreides' house has learned to use sound as a weapon, right? right. Do you remember that? Yeah. So, I think yeah. that, like, be kind of in in use and at at one point they get back together with Gurney. So, maybe Gurney had them and then they all start being together. Yeah, I just wasn't I don't know, sure, it all, like, the development it all, process, but I don't know that it really matters. <laughs> yeah, no, it probably doesn't. But it's interesting that they, like, it's like taking a, a secret, like, ritual and kind of, like, letting everyone have it, yeah, that's you know, which is like. a little... It's also yeah. kind of weird that the rest of the world is like, we know they've got these sound weapons, but they don't seem to know what they are. And it's like, but you guys all kind of have experience with this weirding voice anyway, I would think. So anyway... Mm -hmm time to fight the robot thingy <laughs> and, um paul uses the force and <laughs> he's <laughs> jumping all around um he seems pretty good he um mm -hmm. he i guess defeats it and then he meets up with duncan the army captain i think in another super elaborate hallway and duncan was an Rewatched it last night. I had to step away for a minute, and I was like, "I think I missed where Duncan died," and I have no idea what happened to Duncan. <laughs> he's such a like small part, but he feels like he's probably a much bigger part in the series. But <laughs> yeah, he just kind of disappears. So then Paul meets up with his dad, Duke Leto. I thought it was really funny that Paul and Jessica have normal names, and everyone. Yes. <laughs> Well, I guess Duncan is kind of a normal name, but maybe just the people on that planet have more normal-ish names. But Leto is kind of... A weird... Yeah, I um, I don't know if it's like a weird sci-fi thing of that time, because if you even if you look at like Star Wars, like you have all these crazy names, then you have Luke Skywalker, and it's like the most yeah, plain, get-to-the-point <laughs> name. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's like a weird thing for people who are like reading the books or like watching the movies for them to be like, oh, I remember Paul because that's the name that I associate with. So they kind of assign these normal names to these main characters. Yeah, that's probably it. That's what I think. Um, so he's talking to his dad. He's very proud of his son. He something about best student. Oh, he's the best student his teachers have ever seen. And he says that he's going to miss the sea, but a person needs new experiences. And he says, without changing something, without change, something sleeps inside us and seldom awakens. The sleeper must awaken, which definitely becomes important. But I also thought, oh, that's kind of a profound thought right here at the beginning mm -hmm. of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's super David Lynch. Yeah. It's like, hey, 
introducing like his own little here's me yeah yes i love that quote (laughs) so paul is dreaming of dune and sting and a second moon (laughs) 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 and a girl with blue eyes (laughs) uncle in the movie (laughs) say that again said sting's uncle in the movie is dreaming about him too (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel seriously. like Sting is only there to be a sex symbol throughout the entire movie. Like, oh. yeah. <laughs> so Jessica is worried. Jessica is his mother. I think this is the first time we're meeting her. She's worried and she's wearing the best cape in this scene. Like it's raining and she's got this green circly cape thing. And I was like, that is an awesome cape. I don't think you should be wearing it in the rain, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's waterproof well it's got fur on it which is why i was like mm, i don't know about that. <laughs> so she's worried because paul's going to be tested and no man has been tested with the box and she may lose him although i think that some men have been tested with the box but i can't remember if that's mm-hmm. just something i read when i was reading the first half of the book or if that's something they mentioned High Priestess Lady is pissed that she had a son because she was only supposed to have girls. And I was like, where have you been, Lady? This kid is like in his 20s. How did you not know that she had a son? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Jessica says she vowed that she would never regret her decision. I was like, go, Mom. (laughs) They come collect the not really sleeping Paul. And he's worrying about his father because I think he overhears him say something about how they can't save the dad. Oh, I guess we learned that the priestess is Reverend Mother. And mm-hmm. Jessica imparts the importance of this test to Paul, and Reverend Mother uses her parcel tongue on Paul, which he tries to resist. <laughs> <laughs> it's the voice. <laughs> That's a, a good reference. See, I use so many different... Um, phrases throughout this whole thing is like it took me like half the movie before I was like wait what is it what oh that's what we call it okay (laughs) (laughs) Um, he actually tries to resist it and she's like oh he's a fighter so she tells him to put his hand in this box and she says that inside is pain and then she threatens to poison him if he removes his hand from the box so She's describing how it feels. It like feels like burning and we see his hand. This is also very David Ledge just got the fire. This reminds me of a lot of his short films because like the fire and the hand symbology. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see his hand like burn and melt. And he keeps saying to himself, he must not fear. Fear is the little death. Fear is the mind killer, Um, which is a very important. I've been saying fear is the mind killer to myself all week. That's why I got that stuff tattooed on my back. Yeah. It's the litany of fear. It's that whole thing. It's like, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. uh, Something like, I will face my fear and I will allow it to pass over me. And when it is gone, only I will remain. Paraphrasing the end. But yeah. And it's like the most powerful thing. I'm like, always say that to yourself, you know? Yeah. Those Benny Jesuit mm-hmm. priestesses know what's up. Um, mm-hmm. After he takes his hand out, um, she says, no one has ever withstood as much as he did in the pain department. And when he takes it out, his hand is fine. It was just like a nerve pain or something. Mm-hmm. She says that their test is crisis and observation. 
and she talks about the water of life, which will come back. She says, the sisterhood uses it, but there is one place that they cannot go, and there's a certain man out there who's got to be the one who goes there. All the men who've tried it so far have died. And I was so confused about this for like the first two watchings of the movie. I was like, wait a minute, go go somewhere? I was like, where is he going to go? And it wasn't until the last time I was like, oh, it's in his head. I get it. It's funny because uh, there have been a lot of David Lynch movies where the first time I watched them, I was like, I don't get this at all. And then the second time I'm like, oh my God, it makes all the sense in the world. And even though Dune was written by someone else, I still had the same reaction. I mean, it was written by him, but you know, originally. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. So now we're, we go to the planet of Giddy Prime. Is that how you pronounce it? Giddy? It's very industrial. This is like David Lynch's favorite planet, I think, because... It's like his eraser head planet or something. I was just about to say. <laughs> like weirdly shaped things hanging all over the place. I was wondering if this is like <laughs> the Harkonnen's ancestral planet. They also have a eyebrow guy. What do they call it? Mendance? Mind, Mendance. Is that what it is? Men, I think so. The planet, everything is very green. There are some very Hellraiser looking doctors extracting something from some boils on the Baron, which I was like, I can't even watch this scene. It's too disgusting. <laughs> uh-huh. I just was like, the only thing I thought of was um, the amputee, just oh. like the nurse <laughs> who is David Lynch doing all that nasty shit. <laughs> it just makes me grossed out. I don't understand. I don't even want to read the book on the Harkonnens and what is up with their disgusting planet. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Well, trying um, to like remember if that's even a thing in that actual book, or if that was just David Lynch being gross. Well, I don't remember. It's it's very. I find it very Lynchian, but I also what it made me think of um, this whole like once we get introduced to all their grossness was Mad Max. Yeah. Because um, I think about, and then you have that whole storyline of like the water is whatever. It just feels very Mad Max to me, which I kind of like appreciated. And then once we get to like Dune, and we're like super deserty. I was like. I feel like I'm watching like Mad Max in 10,000 years in the future, <laughs> which I appreciated. Yeah. Again. I mean, just like the way their ears were sewed and they had things sticking out of their eyes. Oh. But Jack Nance is here oh. sounding the bell for the nephews. <laughs> <laughs> Fade and Raybon, who I also may interchangeably call Sting and Ginger too because I was just calling the Harkonnens <laughs> the gingers for a long time. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yes. uh, they get orders to crush the Atreides, but um, no one can know that it was them because they're working for the Emperor, or no one can know that they are working with the Emperor on this. Luckily, they have a traitor on their side. And then uh, Raban drinks a crushed bug, and what? apparently they, like, worship diseases because he's like, I love your disgusting face. And um, <laughs> and then he just willy-nilly pulls a poor servant's plug. Um, well, he also flies around and gets an oil shower. And I was like, the looks you know. in this scene, because it's just like, reaction shot, reaction shot, reaction shot, reaction shot. And they're all like varying <laughs> levels of creepiness, except for Jack Nance, who seems disgusted. <laughs> <laughs> I um 
related to that. Um, do we ever get an explanation of how he can fly? I, um, I think it must be some sort of contraption. Or maybe it's his diseases. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say maybe that's the the good side effect of the disease that you can fly around. You get the right combination. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought that was like a funny, weird scene. It was really gross and it felt so like random. At first I was, I wasn't sure when he was killing that, I, you said it was a servant. I think so. Because it was like, well, I found it so weird was like, he was dressed a little differently than everyone else. So I didn't know if it was like they were like big into like human sacrifices or something because it seemed very like matter of fact to everyone except for uh, Jack Nance's character. But, yeah. Well, the guy was you know, like just... real nervous coming in. And yeah. I don't know if they just build those because uh, it's implied that they put those hard plugs into everybody when they live there. So I don't know if it's just a way to kill people super easily or if they have to connect to something if it's part of their weird disease culture again i don't really want to know the answers to these questions <laughs> no, no i feel like i'll be even more grossed out <laughs> so we're back with the duke and bam and they're all in their matching green fur coats they look fantastic <laughs> they board their space folding <laughs> spaceship pod thingy and <laughs> They have a pug, just like Lady Bertram. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. crossover. <laughs> <laughs> when I, saw them, I was very happy to know that 8,000 years in the future, we'll still have pugs. But we never yeah, see that pug again. Them, I, I don't know what, I was if like, was cats. does someone save that pug when the Harkonnens come? <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw it, I was like kind of hoping that it would be like, a weird like secret weapon that it would be like a, a warrior pug <laughs> it would just start talking like i was like that'd be really black. cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah or i also thought of like in um captain marvel the cat how it's like secretly an alien yeah definitely. monster so their ship pod goes into a bigger space folding ship with a bunch of other ships and i don't know if it's the whole planet is leaving because it seems like the harkonnens get to keep their old planet and the spice mm-hmm. planet but it almost feels like the treaties have to leave that everyone's leaving but i don't know if that's true or not okay so uh, and i this spaceship stuff looks pretty good too to me the ship mm-hmm. is crazy detailed with all these like gears again it looks kind of a racer headish and we see the mm-hmm. octopilots float around in full time by spitting and pooping <laughs> Is that, am I wrong? Does that look like they're just pooping out space folds? (laughs) But I thought it looked pretty cool the way like all the stars, like the way they did the space folding. I thought that looked pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So then we get some cool shots of the dunes when they're first arriving. uh, And we see the Fremen Bene Gesserit priestess who seems to know that Paul has arrived and recites the prophecy. Then they um, come to the model or the, yeah, I've got some stuff in the notes about like the person who did the model shots and stuff, which is really awesome. But like this one, when they arrive is a model shot with some real life set and it looks great. It looks like you couldn't tell that there's a model. And I really like the way they do the heat distortion with the camera, but -hmm. they're all on high alert because of suicide bombers. They're afraid that the Harkonnens left some suicide bombers behind and everyone is whispering for some reason when they get here. There's just like a lot of whisper talking in this movie. So Duncan, who has come early to this planet, has been scoping out the Fremen 
and he gives Leto the report. He suspects that there's a lot more of them than they know and that they actually control the planet. And we also learn how important water is on the planet and how they have to conserve it. And so we're all sitting here wondering, who's this traitor the Harkonnens were talking about? And we see Thuther doing something that seems almost suspicious. And it's like, could it be him? Because they have an eyebrow guy and you have an eyebrow guy. Um, Right. (laughs) And I was like, dad, is he the guy? And he's like, no. (laughs) That other guy. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So then we see Max von Sydow, Dr. Kynes, who I wish he had a bigger part. I'm sure he does in the books because, I mean... He's from The Exorcist. I don't know what else I know him from, but I just like him. (laughs) (laughs) He's been on Arrakis in the service of the Emperor for so long now that his eyes glow. He explains how the still suits work. And I think the still suits look really good, too. They look practical. Like, they look like how they describe them to work. Basically, it's like a high-efficiency filter slash cooling suit, and it takes all the water that your body releases and recycles it. So if you're in the desert, you have to wear the nose tube to breathe out so that you can capture that moisture too, but it will help you can survive for weeks in the deep desert with one on. And Paul knows instinctively how to wear it correctly, which makes Dr. Kine wonder if he could be the one, because obviously he's familiar with this prophecy. Okay, and then... We see Dr. Yui and we realize, oh, he's probably the traitor because he's like, there's the message for me in this body. It's just like this tiny little scene. So Paul and his dad are out doing inspection of the spice. Paul spots some worm sign, or maybe his dad does. So they called to get the harvester removed and David Lynch is working in the harvester. (laughs) (laughs) It's like my favorite scene. I love this part. (laughs) Me too. I loved it. I feel like he was so good in this scene too. Like I just, but he was on screen for like two seconds and I was like, I love this character. I (laughs) I want this character to live. (laughs) We can't leave this spice behind. (laughs) I like it when he's like, (laughs) who's calling? The Duke? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah so uh uh, david lynch is calling out for the harvester to come collect the the pod before the worm can get there but apparently the harkonnens did something that sabotaged this i guess it's the harvester the one that picks up the harvester Mm -hmm. Uh uh-huh and the duke orders them all to get out and come to his ships to get to safety before the worms can squish them and it's a little weird because he's like, there's 40 of us. And he's like, come get on. And like only three people show up. But I guess there's other entrances <laughs> yeah. to the ship. I'm guessing. I hope so. <laughs> I was like, I was really waiting for David <laughs> yeah, Lynch to say. come on the ship, but he didn't. No. So they lift off and watch as the worm eats the harvester. And we hear Dr. Kine say, may his passing cleanse the world under his breath. And which feels... Yeah, okay. So, but uh, he's impressed with the Duke caring more about his men than the spice, which is nice. I was like, who cares about spice when you live in spice world? I mean, everyone's high all the time here. (laughs) 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 So then we get um, another really cool set as they're unpacking. Jessica is inspecting the staff. Dr. Yui checks them all with a medical spotlight of some sort. And Jessica intuitively knows that Dr. Yui hates the Harkonnens 
and she thinks they must have killed his wife. And that's when also we meet shout out Mapes, who I think telepathically, this is one of the telepathic ones, I think, warns Jessica that her son is in danger because her son is trying drugs for the first time. <laughs> he, he eats a stick of spice, which I was like, wait a minute, how many forms does spice come in? Because some people drink it, some people eat sticks of it, some people just breathe All it. of the forms. <laughs> <laughs> I was, life. I was like, I'm not sure why he needs to eat it since presumably everyone is high all the time. But so the spice <laughs> gives him some visions. He sees the second moon again and he wonders if he is the one. And then a hunter seeker, otherwise known as a deadly syringe, comes into the room and Paul knows if he doesn't move that it won't see him. And it like goes right up to his eye and I'm like, don't blink! Don't blink, Paul! <laughs> <laughs> and um shut up mape comes in and he grabs it and saves both of their lives and she warns him that there's a traitor in their midst okay and then someone finds a dead harkonnen and they put the palace in lockdown and they put up their shield which is like this big square like glass it looks like a glass box so the whole place is shielded and impenetrable shout out mape follows dr yui because she looks suspicious Leto regrets not marrying Jessica. Um, then he's wandering around as he's regretting this, and he finds Shout Out Mape dying. And that's when he gets shot by a dart by Dr. Huey. And Dr. Huey has also sabotaged the shields and the weirding mod modules. It's like a lot. He's done a lot of horrible stuff just for the off chance that this guy could maybe shoot a tooth full of gas into the Baron's face. <laughs> I'm like, you could have gone about this in a lot better ways, buddy. <laughs> he promises that he'll save Paul and Jessica's lives, though, which, again, taking a big risk on that one. Yeah. But he's like, remember the tooth. So then we see the Harkonnens attack. There's lots of bombs and spaceships. They have no way to fight back. The Brian Eno theme is perfect. <laughs> and just a lot of <laughs> random fighting, which I found the fighting to be the most boring slash confusing part because I was like it's just a lot of bombing and people running around I don't even know what's happening but people are fighting <laughs> right and that's halfway <laughs> wow yeah, yeah. Ending. <laughs> I mean it feels like so much happens but it's there's a lot of slow stuff and there's a lot of like it's more like questions that I have than <laughs> details to present yeah yeah, well, I think the the first half is a little, like, slow, but then, like, like, let's say we're at, like, a speed two, but once we get into, like, the second half, we're at, like, at a speed eight, because uh, mm -hmm. I feel like we're, like, fitting in a lot, so that's why I'm, like, shocked that that's halfway. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, was, like, I feel like we have so much more. I know, but I actually feel like the second half has less words than the first half, but I'm not sure. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Well, should we do Ugh. our quiz now? Or should we sure. do the astrology and then do the quiz in the second episode? Maybe let's do the quiz in the second episode. the astrology? Yes. We okay. agreed on the same thing I just said. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay. So because I wasn't sure if they were humans or lived on Earth or even had any semblance of the same astrology <laughs> we would have, <laughs> I found this list 
of what science fiction books you should read according to your sign. So I thought we could go over that and see what it said. So for Aries, does anybody want to take a guess? Like what kind of a book maybe? Hmm. So we're guessing like which science fiction books they have to read? Yeah. I don't know. Okay, I'll just tell you. Do you have a guess, Christian? <laughs> I have a hard time because uh, are these like, we're guessing existing books or types of books? No, existing books. But like if you got the right type, I think it would probably count. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure if it's a book, but I always, whenever I think of like, I don't know, I feel like Event Horizon would be a really good uh, Aries. Yeah, probably. I don't know if it's a book, but maybe something of that, like, you know, whatever that <laughs> thing is. <laughs> well, it suggests um, Jurassic Park. It says, sci-fi doesn't have to be in space fights and chosen ones. Sometimes science fiction can just yeah. be a good old-fashioned dinosaur chase. <laughs> as an Aries, you like reading material to be just as dynamic and exciting as you are. When it comes to sci-fi, you're probably going to go for action and edge-of-your-seat thrills over hundreds of pages describing why space rooms are important to the space economy. Looking at you, Dune. <laughs> <laughs> You'd rather read about a T-Rex eating a man alive. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> that totally called me out because I was like thinking of all the space books I could think of and didn't even think about like Jurassic Park or like any of these like really cool science fictions that aren't like alien space things. Yeah. But I, I feel like that fits perfectly. It does, I think. <laughs> okay, so for Taurus, any guesses? Should I just say them? Or do you guys want to guess? I would say that because I'm familiar with like four science fiction worlds. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what they suggest is The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. I feel like I've read this, but I'm not, I can't remember 100%. It says, Taurus is the powerful, reliable member of the Zodiac, and you deserve a powerful book to match. You don't need any lightweight books with spaceships chasing monsters. You like a book that's beautifully written and thought well thought of, science fiction or not. The Left Hand of Darkness isn't your typical space adventure. It's the story of a lone human on the distant planet of winter where inhabitants can choose and change their gender at will. It's a book with an intelligent, strong message for an intelligent, strong science. I do think I have read that book. Yeah, I love Ursula K. Le Guin. Okay, Gemini, this is a fun one. <laughs> I'll just, yeah, let me just say, you just shout it out if you have a guess. Otherwise, yeah. I'll just say. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, Ringworld by Larry Niven. I was thinking it was um, something else, but Louis Wu has just turned 200 and he's off to find the elusive Ringworld with his ragtag crew an aggressive eight foot tall cat monster, a party girl bred for luck, <laughs> and a strange and cowardly alien called a puppeteer. For Gemini, this book has got fun and wacky characters as well as mystery, thrills, and at least one space battle. It's full of duality and contradiction, just like any Gemini. <laughs> that sounds fun. I like that one. Cancer. We've mm. got Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler. I have read Kindred, but I have not read Parable of the Sower. As a Cancer, you sometimes feel like you're the only one who cares or that you just have too many emotions. Well, if you're sensitive, caring crab, you might enjoy the young empath at the heart of Parable of the Sower. It's the story of one girl with the ability of hyper-empathy. 
She can feel others' pain all too acutely, but she transforms her burden into a power that just might save what's left of humanity. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. I really liked Kindred, so maybe I'll give that one a try. Leo. I have a question. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Are these books only from, like, 80s and before? Because I have a guess for my own sign because it's a book that it's probably my favorite sci-fi book. Um, but I was just wondering, are there any like modern books? Oh, I think Octavia Butler is fairly modern. Okay. But I, I have a guess for my own sign when we get to it. Okay. <laughs> we got Leo. You got a guess for that one? I have never read this. It better one. be one that I've read already. <laughs> I don't think I've ever read this one, but I haven't read <laughs> stuff by this author, but it's... Orson Scott Card, Ender's Game. Have you read it? Uh, I haven't yeah. read it, but I've heard about it. Yes. I read something like The Memory of Earth or something like Orson Scott Card. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. It says, Earth is under attack and the fate of the human race is riding on one little kid. You get it, Leo. It's like <laughs> when you go to a party and everyone there is relying on you to come up with the drinking games. <laughs> As a Leo, you're used to being <laughs> the center of attention. And you get behind this story of one clever little boy trying to survive a brutal training program so he can become the savior that Earth so desperately needs. I think there's a movie based on that. Okay. It's like a video game. Okay, Virgo. Yeah. yeah I, oh, sorry. Virgo, <laughs> any ideas? I will tell you that it's a popular TV show now. Oh, God. Is it Westworld? Nope. It is The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. Oh, God. Yeah, I really, I love that book, but it's hard, especially right now. Um, (laughs) As a Virgo, you tend to focus on the details, but that doesn't mean that you don't care deeply about the bigger picture. The Handmaid's Tale is the story of one woman trapped in a dystopian society, stripped of her humanity because women are seen primarily as possessions. Her only purpose in this world is to become pregnant, whether she wants to or not. Atwood's prose is both deeply detailed and deeply moving. Perfect for an astute Virgo reader looking for a sci-fi feminist masterpiece. Libra, we got Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five. Okay. A non-linear war story with the time-traveling aliens. It's a harsh, cynical look at the human condition, and it's hilariously witty read. It's perfect for the perfectly balanced Libra. Vonnegut's insights will spark your intellect and his message will fuel your passion for equality and justice. But more than anything, his easygoing tongue-in-cheek prose will entertain you as an easygoing, personable Libra yourself. Okay, Scorpio? Scorpio, something a little dark, I would Yeah, I would. So this one I've never read. Um, William Gibson's The Neuromancer, or just Neuromancer. Have you heard of that one? I've heard of it. It says, no. <laughs> yeah. If anyone can handle Neuromancer, it's you, Scorpio. It's, this is a tough, passionate book full of resilient characters, mysterious circumstances, and girls with razors that come shooting out of their fingertips, Wolverine style. <laughs> it's a heady intellectual piece about technology, but it's also a crazy punk acid trip of a book. As a Scorpio, though, you thrive on intensity, so you'll be able to hold on for the whole ride. Sagittarius? Well, my (laughs) guess for myself, because it's my favorite sci-fi book, is Annihilation. But it's very, it's a modern sci-fi book. So I don't think it'll be on that list. But that's my guess. That's not what they suggested. They actually suggested 
one of my favorite books, Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh. Yes. <laughs> it says, I mean, obviously. <laughs> You're Sagittarius, after all. You're the fun, funny one of the Zodiac. You dig a good joke as well as a good intergalactic road trip, and you like a little bit of philosophical genius thrown in there once in a while. You like your humor to be laced with some high-level smarts and no one does smart, absurd sci-fi like Douglas Adams. So you're the perfect candidate to read and reread The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and all of its hysterical glory. Well, I won't argue with that. And now we get to Capricorn. And it should be the obvious one because it's Dune. (laughs) (laughs) It says, yep. You get to read Dune, Capricorn. I know it's long, but you're Capricorn. You're the most ambitious, responsible fish goat in the galaxy. You're tenacious enough to finish a long book where most other signs would just give up. And besides, you'll love the intricate world Frank Herbert has created with its psychological mind games and twisted politics, not to mention giant sandworms and scary mind freak powers. It's a multi-layered book for a serious reader but it's also one of the greatest sci-fi masterpieces of all time. Wow. wow. <laughs> the main reason I picked this list in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Aquarius. I've never even heard of this book. It's called How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe by Charles Yu. Huh. You're basically already living on another planet, Aquarius. You need a sci-fi book that takes it a step further, like Charles Yu's inventive, off-the-wall, How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe. It's a metafictional novel where author and character can be one and the same, where time travel is everyday occurrence, and where pet dogs can be non-existent, but ontologically valid. (laughs) It's a great (laughs) book for an original thinker like you, and it's guaranteed to be nothing like any sci-fi book you've ever read before. That's cool. I'll have to look that one up. And Pisces. (laughs) They get A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lingle. (laughs) I know, it's so perfect for Pisces. Pisces is the dreamer of the Zodiac. You're a creative, compassionate soul, and A Wrinkle in Time is just the book for you. It's for children and adults. It's a story of interdimensional space travel, as well as a story of a family trying to reconnect. And it's written with such warmth and creativity, and it's impossible not to love. Plus, the characters have to fight a giant brain. For a beautiful, <laughs> inspiring science fiction, you can't do much better than A Wrinkle in Time. I've read so oh. many of those books. <laughs> <laughs> I've have you? not read any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love sci-fi. In all of its many forms... I do, but I, I, uh, I'm more of a sci-fi movie person. Yeah. Well, I like both, I guess. Yeah. I appreciate science fiction books, but they have to be a certain uh, type of book, if that makes sense. Like, what I love about Annihilation is how, like, just uh, how detailed it is and explaining, like, the, the world that you enter and, like, just the little details and, like, the world building I love about it. So that's why I appreciate it. And it's weird. It's just like really, really weird. And there's really not a lot of explanation for it, but you don't really need it because it just. Yeah. Because the characters are also like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. I like that book too. Mm -hmm. Well, let's do recommendations now. Yes. Do you have one? I do. I can't remember. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, I do. Okay. Okay. No, keep going. Someone else go first because I know kind of what it is, but I forgot. I can go ahead. Yeah. 
Um, my recommendation is going to be a TV show this week. It is going to be Canada's Drag Race, mm. which is basically a franchise of RuPaul's Drag Race. They have gone to Canada and have started there. It's hosted by Brooklyn Heights, who is a Drag Race alumni from the States. She's the only Canadian, I think, to be on the U.S. Drag Race. And so, and she's such like a, a worldwide icon for drag because she's one of all these patents, whatever. So it's hosted by her, supermodel Stacey McKenzie and actor Jeffrey Boyer Chapman. Hmm. And I am, I was a little hesitant at first just because it's, you know, I'm such a U.S. Drag Race fan, and I really loved when I did the U.K. Drag Race, but it wasn't at the same level as I kind of wanted it to be. I still really loved it. But this show is probably, like, one of my favorite seasons of Drag Race ever because it is so reminiscent of, like, the early days of RuPaul's Drag Race where there wasn't, like, this awareness of, like, oh, I need to present a certain, like, facade so that the fans like me, or I need to present my Instagram personality. All of these, like, drag queens are so authentically themselves, and there is so much drama that it makes the show so much fun to watch, and there's so many personalities that we love, and... I love it. I'm loving it so much and I can't recommend it enough. If you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, I would definitely give it a try because it is so reminiscent of the early days of Drag Race where there was just so many, so much drama and like so much queer authenticity. What do you watch that on? I think they're, they're showing it on Logo if you have cable. It's I think maybe two or three weeks behind on Logo, but if you subscribe to Wow, uh, Wow Presents Plus, I think it's like four or five dollars a month you are only a week behind. Okay, cool. I love it. You go ahead, Erin, if you have one. Um, okay. Mine is kind of like an old school one. I really loved this show like seven years ago um, and started getting back into it, but it's called The Dead Files and it's oh on Travel Channel. <laughs> I love that channel. Um, <laughs> it's Amy Allen's faces of anyone I've ever seen on any show. I'm about to freak out on my child, so just, you know, pardon me for that. It's it's not funny. The show is funny. My child is not funny. Um, anyway, yeah, I love the show. You can watch it on demand or on streaming, and it's freaking funny. Um, the guy that's, like, her straight guy partner that, like, does all the investigation and stuff, he just has the funniest little quotes, and, and I just get tickled by it, so... Um, also, if anyone wants a five-year-old for a day, I have one. <laughs> for recommendation. <laughs> so right. I'll Here's pay my you. Recommendation. <laughs> just kidding. This this uh, quarantine has just been nuts on her. So <laughs> I'll mute again so I can start yelling at her again. <laughs> well, my recommendation is going to be because this. Um, I should have maybe said it on the last episode, but this episode is coming out the week after my birthday. So my recommendation is to have a happy birthday. If you're having a birthday, do something, even if it's just like, you know, I know we can't do much these days, but any little thing will make you feel happy. And also I recommend that you wish me a happy birthday. Yes, give Maya a shout out on Twitter, <laughs> on Instagram, anywhere. It's going to be her birthday, 
and she does a lot of work for the podcast and we really appreciate and it. And I love happy Sweet. birthday messages so much. <laughs> exactly. So send her a happy birthday. Yes. And um, okay. So next week we're going to be doing the second half of Dune and <laughs> then we'll do a check-in. And yes, I think we- after that, we're going to do some more David Lynch shorts. So that'll be fun. Excuse me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you want to get in contact with us, <laughs> film happening over here. <laughs> oh my god! Okay. It's a real- <laughs> case of the crazies. Yes. Um, our Gmail is mannersandmadness at gmail.com. Our Instagram is at mannersandmadnesspod. Our Twitter is at mannersmadness, and our website is mannersandmadness.com, and you can leave us a voice message. Yeah, or you can wish me happy birthday on any of those platforms. Exactly. <laughs> All right, well, we will see you next week with the conclusion of Doom. And next week. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> you, Steve Lukather on the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good night. Bye.